Hey Rope Droppers, we want to thank our amazing sponsor, the Rope Drop Queen herself, Michelle McKnight. She's an independent travel agent affiliated with MEI Travel and Mouse Fan Travel. We have used her on a number of vacations and can't speak highly enough of her services. If you are thinking about a Disney vacation, she's the one to talk to. Her services are completely free. Disney pays her after you travel. And she is a wealth of knowledge that has saved us a lot of time and money. So check her out on Facebook at Rope Drop Queen or email her at michelle.mcknight at mei-travel.com. Now, on to the show. Helping you navigate the Disney parks. With the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. You're listening to Rope Drop Radio. Welcome to another Rope Drop Radio. Derek and Doug talking all things Disney. And Doug, we have a very special guest on today's show. He is an author, podcaster, master of the touring plans. He is Mr. Len Testa. Welcome to Rope Drop Radio. Oh, thanks for having me, Derek. Hey, Doug, how's it going? It's going great. Very excited to have you on today. Before we go on with some questions, Doug, we have some news we have to cover that was released today. Uh, it seems like Halloween's getting a little bit earlier and earlier when it comes to Disney travels. Len, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but what is it, August 16th or 17th is when Mickey's Not So Scary is starting now? Yeah, the uh, the interesting thing is I was in, the, in Epcot today and the Christmas decorations are still up. So now I think according to the Disney calendar, uh, Halloween begins in the middle of August and Christmas lasts at least through the middle of January. So five months of the year, two holidays. It's party season already. Yeah. Party season. Yeah. And now it's I going think... through November 1st. So they're just going to keep it after Halloween. Time is sort of an ephemeral yeah. con- concept. I don't know why people are hung up on Halloween being on October 31st every uh, every year. Yeah. We should have some flexibility. No, sure. but I think one of the reasons why they're, why they're starting it earlier, um, over the last couple of years, we've noticed that the summer vacation travel season peaks very early or much earlier in June now. And that by the time you get to the end of August, it really is the slow season again. Number one, it's super hot because no one wants to go to Orlando in July and August. Um, But number two, by the time you get to the middle or end of August, um, people are bringing their kids back to school. So I think Disney is pushing the the start of Not So Scary earlier and earlier to – give people a reason to come back to the parks or to come to the parks originally uh, that didn't, they didn't have if the, if it wasn't there then. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah, does. Totally make does. Sense. So yeah, Halloween's coming Buy your tickets now, I guess in January. <laughs> so for those that don't know, Lynn is the co-author of the uh, legendary unofficial guide series. It's not so much a guidebook as it is a field guide for tackling the vacation kingdom of the world. So Lynn, how did you get into the guidebook business? Uh, I'll give you the short answer. I uh, asked Bob a bunch of questions when I was doing my master's thesis on um, this thing called the time-dependent traveling salesman problem. And I needed data for my computer program that involved me being in Disney World. As I was in Disney World, I was reading the book, and I would send Bob like one or two sentence corrections on things, like, oh, by the way, they, they changed the name of... Um, uh, Thompson Island to Fort Langhorn, you know, things like that. I would send him menu corrections and whatnot. Uh, and it really is one of those things where writing sentences became writing paragraphs, writing paragraphs became writing pages, writing pages became writing chapters. And that's how I became co-author of the book. So how long ago did you get involved with the unofficial guide? Did it, it so Bob is the author, the other yeah, co-author, he, right? Yeah. He yeah, started it before yeah. you came along? Oh, yeah. He started the, – the book was published starting in 1986, oh. 84, 86, okay. 86. 
Um, so that means the first edition was written in 85. And it was, uh, it was 200 pages at the time because it was just the Magic Kingdom and Epcot. So to put that in perspective, 200 pages is about the size of our hotel chapter. Yeah. Yeah. In the, uh, yeah. Not, not joking, in the, in the uh, now. Yeah, so the book is about 845 pages uh, now, give or take. Um, yes. So Bob did, I think Bob had published it for, what, 12, 11, 12 years before I, I got involved. It was, I mean, it was a well-established book um, by then. It's it's a great read. I know I've read through, not read through, because it is a lot of pages, like you said, but it's really amazing how in-depth and detail, and I know I've been picking it up for the last 10 years, and I know, Doug, you have a copy right there. What year is that? Yeah, well, this is the 2019 copy Ooh, that nice. my, my, my daughter had out tonight. Samantha was doing a little light reading. <laughs> I don't know. It's, she's probably trying to talk us into like a grand villa at bay lake tower or something and coming up with all the positive she just things puts bookmarks in the pages you need to read yeah like book this please yeah <laughs> not gonna be all stars i know that she's 13 we've, we, we've actually that's fantastic we've actually printed four different versions of the 2019 guide so far wow and it's going to just keep changing and evolving with every new attraction and a little thing called star wars opening up you're that's just Going to be a complete game changer. That book's going to be double in size by the time that land opens. In fact, uh, I, so I started uh, the first part of the 2020 edition now, and one of the things we're doing is trying to figure out where to cut pages. So, wow. uh, and, and to be fair, there there are some. It's an 845 page book. We should be able to find uh, ways to tighten up what we say, and so that's that's sort of the major thing right now to figure out how to make space for. Um, for all the Star Wars stuff. There's not just the Walt Disney World version. There's also Disneyland, mm-hmm. the Cruise Line, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a kids version too. Correct. There's a kids book. There's a uh, there's a Universal Orlando book that's done by Seth Kubersky really well. Yeah, we uh, we, okay. we cover all of those. We uh, Washington D.C., okay. Las Vegas. Yeah. Is there a Disneyland Paris book? There was. Okay, there was. I'm not crazy then. I was looking for that. No, there was. Uh, interesting story. So uh, it was the last of the uh, international books that I that I worked on. One of the last two that I worked on with Bob. The, the issue was this. We, we published it in 2011. We were getting ready to do another edition. Um, and we, at that time, our publisher was Wiley. And Wiley was going through some financial problems after the, the 2008 recession. And they wouldn't... They didn't give us any sort of publicity, any sort of support mm. for the book, um, and didn't want to um, didn't want to help us find a European publisher, so to sell the European rights to the book, because the book is obviously going to sell better in Europe than it would in the United States. Um, so we we stopped publishing it. So Wiley actually sold all of their travel guidebooks to Google. So technically, the unofficial guide copyright is owned by Google now, um, and we license it. But uh, but Google hasn't been interested in sort of guidebook publishing at all. We're we're sort of a uh, I'm not even sure they they know we exist. You're you're going to go to Disneyland Paris blind, Doug. I know without an unofficial guide, I don't know if I can survive. I think might make it. There's a lot of crepes and alcoholic beverages, and we'll get through it. So, well, one of the things I enjoy about the book is the reader surveys. And oh yeah, how much. Does that information that you get from the reader survey affect what information goes into the guidebook? Oh, so the reader surveys are basically uh, the engine that drives all of the research that we do. So I'll give you some idea of how much we survey people. Um, In the last two years, 
we've got more than 250,000 restaurant surveys just for Walt Disney World. To put that in perspective, that's, yeah. <laughs> to put it in perspective, um, it's more than TripAdvisor and Yelp have combined uh, for Walt Disney World over their entire lifetimes. Wow. That's we have more than half a million attraction surveys. We have, I think, 50,000 hotel surveys. The only organization that does more research or customer service research about uh, Disney World is Disney themselves. And the interesting thing is we'll actually share our research uh, with other people. So on uh, soon on the website, you'll be able to download all of the re- all of the surveys that we've ever done with all the results, and you can slice and dice them any way you want. One of the one of the super interesting things about that is I did a blog post a couple of weeks ago saying that reader satisfaction with Be Our Guest had recently dropped to a five year low after they introduced this new fixed price dinner menu. Mm. Are you familiar with the the menu? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So they introduced it on July 27th. Um, August, I think, 2nd was the high water mark for Be Our Guest uh, survey satisfaction, and it's plummeted since then. It's now significantly below average, and it's directly because of this, this new dinner thing. So I posted – I did this blog post, and I said, you know, here's the data in case you want to download it and, uh, and play with it. Well, one of our readers actually took the data, and she's a data scientist. Her name is Becky. She downloaded it and started playing with it because in the data, we also included things like how many people are in your party, how many men, how many women, how many boys, how many girls, how old are they? And we also uh, put in uh, dining particip- uh, plan participation. Are you, are you paying cash? Are you on the quick service plan? Are you in the standard dining plan? And so on. And it turns out that um, this is an interesting piece of data that people who are using the dining plan are more satisfied at some restaurants than people who are paying cash. Yeah, you don't think about what you're paying for. That totally makes sense. It, it does, except it's the opposite in other restaurants. <laughs> so, so the thing that we're trying to figure out is why. And, and the reason why we want to know why is ultimately the book exists to tell you whether the dining plan makes sense for you or not, right? That's one of the things it does. If we can tell you it makes sense in, if, if these things are true, if A, B, and C are true, and we know what A, B, and C are, then that's a better decision for you, right? So, yeah. so trying to figure out what's driving that is super, super interesting stuff. It is. This is kind of a good segue into my next question here. On your website, touringplans.com, you have a ton of different tools. The crowd calendar is a big thing. But you also have something that helps you calculate for the dining plan, uh, room requests that you fax in for us. <laughs> that um, was you crazy. Know, yeah. Dining reservation <laughs> finders. Um, we actually we have a trip coming up here in a couple in a, a week. week there. Yeah, when a this week. we will be there in one week yeah. from when this releases. So, yeah, we'll be down there, and we put it. I put in a request for a very quiet room at Pop Century. On oh, the let me know how it goes. Backside. Yeah, we'll definitely let you know if we get what I requested. I don't know that many people request what you know. We backside yeah. nothing, but yeah. uh, at Pop, you've got a you've got a pretty decent chance. The uh, have you ever heard the story of how we came up with that? No, like no. So how did those come about? Oh my god! So the the hotel room views project right now is a database of around thirty five thousand photos of the view you get at different hotel rooms in Walt Disney World. I think it's virtually all hotel rooms it's at this pretty, point. Yeah, pretty amazing. Thirty five thousand, and there are maps at the um uh, for each hotel, not only for each hotel, but each room on each floor of each hotel. So you can go to the Contemporary resort, click on the seventh floor, see all of the rooms and where they exist on the seventh floor. And if you click on one of the rooms, we'll actually show you the view from that particular room. 
it started like this. Uh, when Bob and I were, were working on the unofficial guide back in the day, we, we both agreed, it was sort of his thing, that we, we together, he and I, answer all of the email that we got. Like we wouldn't delegate it to someone else. And in 2011, I got 16,000 emails. So Bob got an equal number of them. 16,000 emails related to the unofficial guide. Roughly 43 or 44 a day. Let me tell you, when you're trying to answer and answer oh. well, 43 or 44 emails a day, that's basically all you do. That's, that is, it's a full-time job. And I already had a full-time job at the time, so this was like more work. And, but a lot of those emails were the same pattern. Hey, I'm, I'm going to Pop Century. I'm, uh, I need to know what the best room is. Here are my criteria. Right. I want something with a with an amazing water view. Right. And obviously there's not one at the pop, but, you know, or I want something super quiet or I want something uh, close to restaurants and transportation or, you know, everyone's got their own their own thing. Right. So we were sitting around drinking as we, as, as as one as does. people do. Yep. Yeah. yeah. As, at a bar. And Bob was like, could we just build a database of of these things and just have people answer it automatically? We're like, well, how are we going to do the, the views? It's like, well, we take pictures. So we called our photographer over. His name is Richard. And we sent him to, to photograph one entire building's worth of rooms at Pop Century. Because I figured, like, this is an all-day thing. How long, yeah. you know, how long is it going to take him? It took him an hour oh. to photograph 192 rooms. Actually, the hardest part for him wasn't taking the photos. It was actually labeling the rooms, like changing the file name of the photo to be, you know, pop 1234, pop 1235, pop 131236. But once he did that, we figured, well, he's got basically a month's worth of work and we could cover every room in, in Walt Disney World. So we did. It ended up taking him two months. But the thing that took the longest was actually building the maps so that you could see floor by floor and room by room and building by building every resort in, uh, in Walt Disney World. So that took us a year to finish the maps and do the programming behind it. But once we put it online, I remember doing it. You should go back and read the comments on the blog because we didn't tell people ahead of time that we were doing it. We just announced, oh, by the way, one day, here's this thing where you can see the the view you get from every single hotel room in Walt Disney World. Um, and I think the first 70 comments were people losing their minds that the thing even existed, let yeah. alone that we actually built it. it might have been me. And, yeah, might have been. Might have been. Might have been. been <laughs> just but a then ginormous we, uh, amount of work. Yeah. Oh, it was incredible. It was uh, it was basically uh, 18 months solid of work when when all was said and done. And the then we added on this feature. This was a uh, an idea that our statistician has, where um, if you click on a room and you like it and you tell us your reservation number, we'll automatically fax your request for that room to Disney five days before you check in. Yep, we're all set up. We're ready for yeah. that back corner of Pop yeah. Century. Let me know how it goes, man. Let me know how yeah, it goes. But the uh, there's some weird sort of things that happen now with it. Um, one of the things we we asked people to do was as you as you visit a hotel room, if we don't have a photo for it, send us in the photo, right? So if you're staying in the contemporary and we don't have a, a photo of that exact room, take a picture and send us in. Send it in to us using your cell phone. And what we found was this. Um, on our uh, user forums, uh, the users had started to trade amongst themselves what the very best rooms were in each resort. And at one point, we, we, we didn't know this was happening, but we figured it out. And how we figured it out was this. We got like something like 19 photos from the same room at the Contemporary over a, a few-week period, which is super unusual. Like, why is this room special? And it turns out that our, our, our Touring Plans users, the people who run our forums, were trading this room number amongst themselves. And enough of them were on the forums that they, kept, that they, were, they were visiting, and they kept asking for that room and getting it. 
because it was a good room. Like it was a it was a you know a water view room, but you had a view of the theme parks. You know, one of those one yeah, of those type deals. Nice turn uh, turn your head just enough. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. Yeah, so that was crazy. And everyone's trying to outdo them. They'll do with different pictures, trying to get you to pick the right one. Some of the some of the people send in you know panoramics that are beautiful. I mean, you could tell some of them are some of them are people have spent a lot of time making sure that those photos look pretty. I'll take anything though. I mean, anything that anything that's a representative view, it's better than nothing. So all send it in. All right, Doug, we're sending in a picture from Pop. Well, those are easy. They have I know. those. I know. We're around. still doing Come it. On. We're still doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah well, Might yeah, because well. I mean, it's useful. Yeah, because the landscaping changes, right? The landscaping matures yeah. over time. Well, maybe yeah. there'll be a view of Skyliner construction. It's true. It's true. See, with the noise involved. Yeah, it'll be great. All right. Well, one thing that. Uh, first lured me to your website was the crowd calendar. And it's something that I check every time I'm at the parks, before I go, after I go. And I love to kind of see where you're at. And honestly, most times you guys are about dead on, which amazes me. So what is the biggest challenge in creating the calendar? And how much has it changed over the years besides very low, slow seasons? The biggest challenge right now are there are two things, maybe three. Thing, things that Disney changes without telling us. Um, so Disney can change things like the staffing level and the capacity of the rides, which obviously reflect on the wait time of the ride. And our crowd calendar numbers are based on the posted wait time outside the ride. So when Disney changes the rides, the number of people who work on the rides, or they change the ride capacity, um, that changes the posted wait time. They obviously don't tell us in advance that they're doing that. So last January and February, January, February of 2018, Disney did this experiment where they um, they cut the capacity of the rides. And that caused wait times to be higher in January and February than they were the previous summer. That's difficult for us to predict. The other thing that's difficult is when Disney changes something radically. Uh, for example, they've just recently changed the pricing structure, right? They've gone from, oh, they went from, you know, one, one price every day of the year to uh, seasonal pricing. Now it's daily pricing. It takes time for our models to catch up to that. Um, so we're, we're still working on that. The, uh, the third thing that is a challenge for us is the impact of short-term weather changes. Obviously, we can, we can tell what happens when a hurricane comes to Walt Disney World because we've been collecting data for 10 years. We've seen enough hurricanes. We know what happens. But like, if it suddenly starts raining tomorrow more heavily than we thought, we know that the crowds are going to be lower tomorrow in the park. And we, we're, we know that they're going to bounce back the next day and the day after, depending on how, how long the rain goes. But we can't yet predict the weather far enough out mm. into any level of accuracy to uh, to be able to incorporate those things into the, the forecast. So uh, things that Disney changes um, that they don't tell us about, things that they tell us about but we've never seen before, like the tickets and then weather are the three big challenges we have. Yeah. Those are some hurdles. Yeah. That's for sure. Not yeah. predicting yeah, the yeah, weather. Yeah. yeah. Well, we tried it. So we spent the last half of 2018 trying to feed um, short-term weather models into our short-term predictions to see if we could we make those changes. The problem is, is that even within the short-term weather model predictions, they're not accurate enough around precipitation to, uh, to lead to anything meaningful in terms of predictions. Like they might say it's going to rain tomorrow, right? Or, you know, it, it might, they might even say it's going to rain later on today, but exactly when and exactly how much still isn't accurate enough for the models to be able to use it. I don't even think the weathermen in, in Orlando have no. any idea what it is either. So no. No. you're right on. Yes. We're, I mean, we're, we tried, right? And so maybe maybe in another year or so, if those models get, get more accurate, or if we can think of another way to do it. But yeah, we spent uh, a few months last year trying to figure it out. 
So while you're not busy writing books, creating websites with these pretty crazy features, um, you're also podcasting. So it's true. And that's one thing that both Derek and I have listened to you podcast for years. And yeah. So how did you get into podcasting? So back in 2005, uh, I, was, uh, I had a friend, I still have a friend, named Mike Scopa. And he, we were kicking around the idea of doing a podcast uh, about Disney World. And he knew uh, Matt Hochberg, I think, but I didn't know Matt at the time. So the idea was for the three of us to do the podcast. We, we got on. Um, we kicked around sort of the ideas. The, the idea at the time was literally a five-minute podcast, just something where you, you, you get on, you talk about one quick thing, and get off. Make it so that it was very easy for people to listen. Um, so we did one episode. Um, and then, uh, Matt had said, I'm probably totally screwing this up, but I think Matt had said that he wanted to bring his friend, Mike Newell on, who was a very good audio engineer, also a huge Disney fan. Um, so we brought Newell on and that's how the four of us started the WWTA podcast. And we ran with that for 10 years until, and I think I've, I've, everyone who's ever listened to me on the podcast knows this until Mike Newell, the glue that held it all together, didn't want to do it anymore. When he didn't want to do it, we were all done. And uh, so I, I, I took a little bit of time off. And then I'd been doing sort of another podcast with Jim Hill. Uh, on and off since 2011, Jim Hill is the Disney historian. Mm-hmm. He writes the the smart Alec comments in the unofficial guide about what's... Is that, is that the official about. title of that job, the smart I, Alec I think it actually is, is, yeah. I'd have to okay. look at his all business right. cards just to be sure, but yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, But I started doing a podcast with Jim, and, and it was the, the entire premise of the podcast was based around this. Um, when, when it was time for Jim to write his things for the unofficial guide book, the way that we did it was this, we both got on a phone call for like two or three hours and just walked mentally uh, land by land and ride by ride through all the parks. And I would ask Jim what's going on. He would tell me stories. Uh, and then we would sort of decide whether that story fit, how to edit it down, uh, and whether it would sort of be something that would be a good candidate for the book. And we would laugh like idiots. For the entire two or three hours, because we would, you know, we're we're making fun of popular culture, we're making fun of Disney. Some of the stuff is super interesting, but you know, even if it's interesting, you can try and figure out how it's all going to go wrong at some point. So we would do that, and we thought, well, you, you know, one day I, we should record these and just make that a podcast and have people listen to it. And that's really how that podcast was was born. In fact, the I think the first series of podcasts was literally Jim and I walking through the Magic Kingdom, making smart aleck comments. Uh, about it and so we've been doing that now for this is our seventh year nice all right yeah i've been listening to you i can't even think of yeah. the last the first you were probably the first disney podcast i listened to and i can't even think how long ago that was oh wow so it's thanks yeah no it's good keep it up i know doug and i will keep listening for <laughs> yeah sure. thanks man thanks all right so we're gonna have a little fun now with lynn and play a little game of odds makers this is something you used to do back in the day on uh wdw today with all those guys and oh, yeah. so um We'll just ask you what you think the odds are of something happening. All right? All right, so cool. I'm excited. All right. What do you think the odds are that we see a new country added to the World Showcase before Epcot's 40th anniversary or at least announced before then? Better than 50%. Ooh. That's good. Makes me excited. Do, do you yeah, have a I think, leading I think, candidate? Uh, I would have I bet money years ago it was going to be Spain, um, but I think – Disney's not looking to add another Western European country. Uh, Brazil is obviously the front runner. Uh, I've heard India. Brazil, we've all seen the concept art for. The interesting thing is they've been talking about Brazil since like the mid-1980s. 
like that long. Uh, one of the things I was looking at for some Disney research, I was in the um, the Buzz Price archives, and I found an invoice for um, landscaping related to uh, test landscaping for the Brazilian Pavilion back in the eighties. Oh wow! Like That's we've been talking about this for thirty years, uh, so uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was Brazil. Wouldn't be surprised if it was India. And I think my my third candidate there would be some unannounced sub-Saharan African country. Um, just a thought. Okay. My my hope is, is, I've said this before on the show, is that we get Antarctica, which is basically just a glorified hallway of great air conditioning. Yep. Did you did, did you visit during the 2000 Millennium Celebration and go to the was it the Sweden Pavilion? No, no, I did not. They they had a biome type thing where you went through all four seasons. Um, and one of them was super cold. Oh, uh, that sounds yeah. wonderful. In July, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah, exactly. Huh. So they've done that. They tested They're it. Mi- right? Yeah, I guess this, your idea I'm, might not, not happen. A, not original concept, my bad. Okay. All right, what do you think the odds are we will make it to 2020 without the general public having to pay for fast passes in any way at Walt Disney World? So not quite like the club level stuff they got going on right now, but like, Open to the general public. So do you think uh, so? Twenty twenty is eleven and a half months away, yeah, right? Far. Uh, I, I I think there's almost no chance of it this year. In two years, will there be some sort of paid fast pass offering? I would say yes. So the 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 thing that I've heard, uh, like the, the the way that they're they're trying to test this. Obviously, they've they've done it with the club level thing. The 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 most unusual idea I've heard for coming up with paid fast passes is this. You know how Disney sells like pins and magic bands and things like that. The idea that I've heard floated is they will do a special edition of pins or and or magic bands where the purchase of those things comes with some number of quote free uh, fast passes free to use. All right. So the next one kind of do you think we'll ever see a touring plan similar to the Dumbo or Die, which I had to do a lot when my children were mm-hmm. little, where the first stop is an attraction without a height requirement? Something for those little kids again. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the software will uh, will will let you put whatever you want for the first attraction, right? And yeah. if you're if you're telling it to pick it, it's generally going to do it based on um, based on popularity, distance, and things like that. I think for the kids' plan now. Uh, if you if you put in character greetings, the first stop is meet Mickey Mouse. That doesn't okay. have a character. That doesn't have a, a height requirement. Yeah, Mickey has no height requirement. So no, no. All right. So I think the odds are good there. Almost okay. 100. Dumbo, Dumbo or Die was a really intense day. Whenever you did that, sprint back yeah. to the back of the park. Yep. One day but he that's... didn't have his feather. It was tragic. <laughs> That's, you know, that's, that touring plan has like what, 24, 25 steps. The record for one day is like 98 things. Holy oh, cow. Wow. Yeah. So we, um, back when we were developing the software, the touring plan software, um, Bob, uh, and I remember this like it was yesterday. I was in Bob's living room in his, in his dining room. We were drinking wine, um, and we were testing the software and it was the end of the night. We'd already had dinner. We'd already worked all day and just and for, for kicks, he said, put everything in literally put every every ride in and see what it says. And the reason for that was this. Since the book had been published in 1986, so now we're talking about like the year 2000. So for the last 14 years, Bob had written in the book that even if there were no lines in the park, you couldn't see everything in the Magic Kingdom in a single day. And so at this this night, he was basically asking the software 
to verify that question. So the software ran for a couple of minutes and it spit out a terrain plan that said, yes, in fact, you can actually see everything in one day. It was like 43 or 44 things at a time. And it actually told you how to do it and how long it would take. But none of, but neither of us believed it, right? Because the, the software wasn't, wasn't used at the time. We hadn't verified it. It was like, this is an interesting thing. But still, we wrote in the book, you know, exactly what we did, you know. And we said, if you're crazy enough to try this, if, you're, if you've got nothing better to do with your day in the Magic Kingdom, yeah. send us an email. We'll send you the plan and try it out. So um, this, uh, this guy uh, who was happened to be both a marathon runner and a, an economics professor at the University of Houston, uh, named Ed emailed us and said, um, I want to try it. And he was in really good shape because he was a runner. His wife was a runner as well. He's like, I'm going to try it. So it was one day in February and he was going to do it. And he promised to keep in touch, you know, uh, by texting us what he was doing. And I took the day off from work. Actually, this is how excited I was about this. I took off the day off from work. And as he would text me in his updates, I would model where he was at and what the, the rest of the day was going to look like for him, right? Basically like a war room of, or what NASA has. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, multiple monitors up. I've got spreadsheets. I've, I'm running the simulation software. And I knew by noon, by 12 o'clock, so I think four hours after the park had opened because of extra magic hours, I knew he would, unless something broke down, he would succeed, um, which was a really, really good feeling that it validated the software at that point. So, um, and then over the, over time, you know, we told people that it was doable. People started doing 40, 50 attractions on a regular basis. And it, it became more of a challenge to figure out like what more things you could do and to get more time in the day to do it. So the lot, this record was done on a 24 hour event and it was uh, 98 attractions in 23 that's, hours and 57 incredible. minutes. We yeah. got a long ways to it's, go, Doug, in our trip next, yeah, next we do. week. I know I've been uh, like 42 in a day and at 42, I was, I was, I almost killed myself. It was, it was yeah. that exhausting. Like, physical harm anyway. yeah we've had a ufc kent um on a few times who has done the parkeology challenge successfully three times and yeah oh, yeah. He's, yeah he's he's intense you got to be intense to do that so all right on to my last odds question here this one is very important because we have a trip planned so last <laughs> but not least odd star wars galaxy edge is open by thanksgiving of this year uh soft open by thanksgiving Okay. By Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're there right after. Yeah. We're there the first week of it's December. Very important question. So, uh, so what, what, what date? I'm literally going to look like at a the, calendar right now and figure out when Thanksgiving is. It's like the so Thanksgiving big, is the 28th. 28th. Yep. Oh, not like ah. this answer yet, Derek. No, I, we have our trip booked. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, uh, slightly better than average. Okay. I would, I would, I would, Better than a flip of a coin. You know, if we Don't, get some annual pass previews or something like that while we're down there, Doug, that's still a win. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah. It's gonna um, be nuts. The, the previews are probably going to be so limited because of the number yeah. of, of people in. Um, so like I've heard for Disneyland, the lower level passes aren't even going to be part of the lottery system that they're going to implement. So the Disneyland's going to get a lottery system for previews. There's not going to be any way that they can... They're going to do, you know, the three million or whatever annual pass holders or a million pass holders that there are. They'll do a lottery system, but even then, it's going to be like the highest tiers. Uh, I expect Disney World to do the same thing. Um, I have heard, and I don't think I've actually said this on any podcast. They're in test and adjust right now in Walt Disney World. Okay, test and Um, adjust. That's good. Just started it. Just started it. Um, So that is good. I think the things that they don't know 
are uh, ride reliability, how long people are going to stay in the land, because obviously there are capacity concerns yeah. there, and uh, and on around the gameplay, like mm-hmm. how to how to do that. So the uh, the Millennium Falcon ride, I'm sure you guys have heard yep. in the initial mm-hmm. test and adjust for that. You could crash it within 30 seconds, and your your flight was wait, over. Wait in line for eight hours, crash in 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah and that, and that it, it's a serious and a legitimate concern, right? Yeah. So they've uh, they've got to work on that. We've talked to people in the um, video game industry about uh, whether uh, we should be concerned about the progress they've made to this point. Everyone I've talked to said uh, it's not at all unusual. In fact, it's probably standard for them to be where they are right now um, on that. That uh, generally you spend if, when you're talking about video game development. You spend the first first part of the the development lifecycle just getting all the assets straight. Like, what do the characters look like? What does the background look like? What does the scenery look like? How does the AI work? And then then you work on gameplay, you know, for the last year or so before you release it. And so they they seem to be on uh, on on target there. Awesome. All right, Lynn, we have made it to the lightning round. So this is how we end our show with our new guests uh, with a little lightning round. So it's your favorite Disney, Pixar, whatever Disney entity you need to answer these questions. Uh, we don't keep score, but we may judge. All right. So. (laughs) All right. Good. All right. Favorite Disney movie. Ratatouille. Okay. Favorite. There you go. Favorite character. Ooh, character. Mickey Mouse. No, let me, let me, let me clarify that. The new Mickey Mouse. Oh, okay. with the Runaway uh, the Railway. Mickey That's Mouse, okay. The Paul Rudish, the Paul yeah. Rudish Mickey Mouse is is not genius. Disney Junior, the one I, I'm used to. Got no, it. no, 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 no. A very specific Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I like the new one. I Actually, I have a tattoo of him. But go ahead. Not Paul Rudish Mickey Mouse. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I would, if, if Paul is listening, dude, I totally, I would, I would totally get a tattoo of you as well. But, but Mickey Mouse. Go ahead. Um, favorite villain. Oh, I just had this conversation today with someone. I think Ursula is the most misunderstood of the villains. She's um, she is a strong female lead and the only one I think with actual agency in the uh, in the films. So I'm going with Ursula. Okay. And favorite Disney park uh, ever? Epcot, 1984. Epcot. Uh, I've said it right there. That's Done. a good call. I like it. The, <laughs> I think you're the first guest to date when you like the parks. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah. It, Epcot with Horizons. Yeah. There you go. You has to. You have to have that choice at the end of Horizons to make it work. Uh, favorite classic attraction. Uh, classic. You define classic however you wish. Um, I I would go on Peter Pan, over. I mean, Pirates is my. If I had to rate, so I'll give you my top three attractions. Like that's your okay. Favorite. Splash Mountain number one. It's a it's a big attraction. It's got thrills, but it's still family friendly. Great soundtrack, attention to detail, and even if you wait an hour, it's a fifteen minute ride. That's a good reward. My number two is Pirates. Um, it's the first uh, ride I ever remember going on in Walt Disney World. It is basically the template for every other dark, major dark ride that ever has uh, been built after that. Um, so it is a it is a classic. My third, uh, I really like in terms of uh, simple rides. I like uh, Mr. Toad in Disneyland. Because it's the only theme park ride that I know of where you go through hell. Yep. Yeah. Just experienced Special. that a few weeks ago. I'm still scared. Yeah. And and uh, and I would probably say that right after that, like 3A and 3B would be um, Peter Pan's flight because of the novel ride mechanism in the flight over yeah. London. Awesome. All right. Favorite modern attraction? Favorite modern attraction. Oh, that's a good one. It's not Flight of Passage, even though Flight of Passage is a great attraction. Uh, and I haven't been to see the new advanced ones in Tokyo. 
Uh, I am going to go with Soren, which is basically what Flight of Passage is, but with motorcycles and Pandora. Is, that, is it Soren over California or Soren around the world? Soren over California. Soren over the world has too much CG. CGI, yep. Mm, yeah. yeah, and also the um, the perspective is too warped yeah. if you're sitting on yeah. the edge of the yep. seats. Yeah, You like your polar bears real. Is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. And, and yeah. that's exactly right. It, going through the first scene, you know, the polar bear standing up, I'm like, oh, they managed to capture a nice moment there. By the time you saw the um, the whale uh, preaching, uh-huh. yep. you knew all of it was CG, and that I, they lost me after that. Then yeah. I was I was not invested. Yep. All right, favorite Disney resort? Oh, the Polynesian. Ooh, good choice. Favorite counter-service restaurant? Ooh, um... Tangerine, if I had to eat uh, Tangerine Cafe in Morocco. And favorite table service? Uh, how much How much money do I have? Uh, Unlimited. As much, as much as you want is your favorite. Uh, well, the standard answer, so my favorite. Uh, for a special occasion, okay, Victorian Alberts. And I've said Good this choice. before. If, if, if the Michelin Guide gave out stars to restaurants in Florida. The only question for Victoria Alberts would be whether it got one or two stars. And I would argue it would probably get two. Um, that said, uh, Gico before the, their, uh, before the chef left last year was the highest rated restaurant in Walt Disney world. She's since moved over, I believe to magic kingdom dining and the restaurant isn't quite the same yet. Um, so 2017 Gico was, was very good. Dating it again. Yeah, it's very specific. I like it. It's really interesting to see because we can, again, we get, we get 250,000 surveys um, a year. We can, we can tell within a couple of weeks of a chef or menu change, even if we, we hadn't noticed it before. Even if Disney doesn't tell us, we can generally tell when a chef leaves a restaurant because the ratings change pretty quickly. That's pretty amazing. How it is, how it is very, nice. very strange. Wow. Like we, we actually picked this up at Tony's Town Square last year. Like, Tony's Tony's Town Square does not is not highly rated in the surveys, but we noticed like a five percentage point increase. Now our standard deviation is like zero point zero two percent, so a five percentage point increase at Tony's is like are they are they giving out lottery tickets? What what's happening at Tony's like to make this happen? And it turns out they had a new chef, and the the results told us that. I'll have to give that another try. I pass on yeah, Tony's a lot. We, we may have to. It's still not great, but it's better. <laughs> better than it was. It's better. Yeah. The pl- oh, the, the place, and again, I, I, haven't, I don't think I've talked about this anywhere. The place that's now doing really well that I would not in a million years have expected, Spice Road Table in Morocco. Really? Would no. not in a million no. years have guessed it. Looked at the results today, uh, one of the top five uh, significant improvements over the last year. Wow. That's going okay. on the list. There you go. Spice Road Table it is. All right. Favorite Disney snack? Tequila. <laughs> Ooh, that goes right that's, with the next question anyway. That's, that's the next snack. question, Lynn. There. Go ahead. All right. Favorite Disney drink is the next one. So Tequila. So I, I I actually do think La Cava del Tequila in Mexico is the best bar on Disney property. I think all we right. can all agree to that. And that is the lightning round. Excellent job. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. So, uh... That was good, Doug. Thanks. Thank you so much, Len, for being on the show. And before you go, why don't you give a shout out to where people can find you and we'll put in the show notes, your website and book and everything, but everything about you. Thanks. All right. So uh, you can find me on Touring Plans, Len at touringplans.com. I'm on Twitter at Len Testa. Uh, I apparently on Instagram now too, uh, Len dot, at Len.testa. Sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and I think that's uh, that's it for now. And also the Disney Dish podcast. We're at uh, DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Uh, I think that's everything. Awesome. It's great stuff. I love everything that you've done, written, followed you for years. So huge honor to have you on the show. I know from both Doug and I, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, Derek. Thanks again, Doug. I appreciate it. Yep, awesome. Thank you. And we'll put all your information in the show notes. And if you'd like to book a magical vacation first, we say go to touringplans.com and find out the best days to go because that crowd calendar is awesome. And then if you'd like to book a trip, we highly recommend Michelle McKnight and her email will be on the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to go into iTunes and leave us a review that helps people find our show and continue to grow. And of course, go on to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow Rope Drop Radio. Be sure to message us. Doug and I will be in Walt Disney World in one week and we'd love to meet up with you. And so message us and we'll get the information out. We do have a couple dining plans and some meetups that we're trying to do but yes contact us looking at january 26 somewhere in hollywood studios about three o'clock maybe min and bill's dockside diner get some shakes derek and uh say hello on saturday the 26th right around three ish sounds good can't wait to see you there and that is it for this week's episode but for len doug i'm derek you've been listening to rope drop radio